1 Peter 1, 13 through 25. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be Thanks to God. Father in heaven, uh, we ask that you will um, open our eyes like you open the eyes of those two people on the road when they were talking to Jesus. And, and I think that um, Jesus opened their eyes, so to speak, or maybe opened their hearts uh, by opening up your word, opening up the Bible. And we ask that that's exactly what we ask will happen right now. That as we consider your word, as we consider the scriptures, that you will cause uh, our hearts um, to uh, burn with uh, trust in you, that you'll cause our minds to understand, our hearts to see. Above all, uh, will you cause Jesus to be beautiful to us? We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Um, will you please turn back to the first reading, uh, the one from First Peter? Um, or if you uh, if you have a Bible with you, um, you can open it up to First Peter. First Peter is towards the back of the Bible, um, and um, we are going to continue talking about hope today. So ever since Easter, a couple weeks ago, um, we've been talking about hope. And each week, this is a little bit of a review of what we've been talking about each week. Each week, we've been saying, do you remember this? That life, in a very deep and profound way, life depends upon hope. Uh, that's true all the time. But it's especially true, or it becomes particularly vivid, when you're going through a difficult time like we're going through right now. Because when you go through a difficult time like we're going through right now, um, we find ourselves kind of instinctively uh, looking for something to, that can bear the weight of our hope. We, we reach out and we grab onto things that, uh, that we hope are going to tell us that we're okay and that everything's going to be fine and, and things like that. However, we talked about this last week, the problem is, the problem is, is that everything around us in this life, all the things that we have a tendency to trust in, rely on, and place our deep foundational hope on 
all of those things have a tendency uh, to fall apart in this life. Um, so families fail. A lot of us, the epicenter of our pain is all around family pain, right? Um, our careers, sometimes they fall apart. Sometimes they're, they do fine. And yet we find ourselves feeling like they're, they're just a little bit more empty than we hoped they would be. Um, our bodies, all of our bodies eventually um, fall apart. And, and so part of what we've been saying over the last few weeks is that nothing in this world, it's, a, it's an audacious or an a, 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 um, ambitious thesis, but, but we've been saying that nothing in this world can reliably and finally and fully bear the weight of our deepest hope. It's not that to say that these things in, that we trust in are bad, but they just can't bear the weight of our foundational and deepest hope. And I think perhaps a lot of us have a, have a little bit of a sense of the reality of that fact right now, because one of, it seems to me that one of the scary terrors of the moment is that all our usual sources of hope are kind of going willy waddily, right? The economy is, work is for a lot of us, uh, health is all, all that's kind of going sideways. And so even those of us uh, who, who usually, you know, are pretty stable, we, we feel the instability of the moment. Now, into the, what we've been saying over the last few weeks, this is all review, into this kind of crisis of hope, Christianity says there's, there's good news. There's something good in all of us. It doesn't mean that the crisis is a good thing, but it means that there's some, there's a gift that can be given in the midst of all of this. And part of that gift is this, and it's not going to sound like a good thing, but it, but the good thing comes second. In the midst of all this, right now, we have the opportunity to feel what is always true, but usually hidden. We get to feel, not just intellectually know, but feel that nothing in this world can really bear the final weight of our hope. Now, that doesn't sound like a good thing, right? That sounds like a terrible thing, a big old downer. Yes, however, then comes the next thing. And this is the good news of Christianity. The good news of Christianity is that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And therefore, he defeated death. And therefore, he is able to share his victory with us. And what that means is that Jesus Christ can bear the final weight of our hope. If we hope in Jesus Christ, then in a very deep and profound way, nothing in this world can finally destroy us forever. And the Christian life begins, not when we try to up our behavior or anything like that. The Christian life begins when we divest all hope in this world, at least our deep hope, and invest our deepest hope in Christ alone. Now, all that's been a kind of fast forward version of the last few weeks. But now today, we're going to add another piece. Here's what I want to show you today. Hope in Christ is the gateway to deep, comprehensive transformation. Hope is the gateway to transformation. Now, here's one of the reasons why that's important. Sometimes when Christians talk about hope, it can kind of sound like what we're saying is something like this. It can sound like we're saying, hey, listen, Jesus rose from the dead. That means that someday when we die, he's going to raise us up and, and, and give us heaven. And therefore, yeah, this world may stink, but if we just hold on long enough, we'll eventually die. And then we get to go to heaven. And that's what should make us happy. It can kind of so sound like all the good things are kind of 
somewhere distant in the future. But today I want to show you that that's not true. Hope in Christ begins a work of transformation that happens now, not just later. And to help, hopefully this will help us grasp this, but I, I want you to do a little imagining with me. I want you to imagine for a minute that you are standing at the foot of a mountain. It's a giant mountain. It's huge. It's like Mount Everest or something really big. And you know that there is only one safe way up that mountain and you want to get to the top of the mountain. If you, if you don't like mountains, just pretend you do. And, and, and now imagine that that mountain represents for us comprehensive transformation. It represents becoming the person God wants you to be. Now, hope in Christ that we've been talking about the last few weeks, it's like the trailhead at the bottom of the mountain. It's like the gateway. It's like the entrance to the only safe path up the hill and up the mountain. And so that once you enter that gateway, the path up the mountain, which was previously hidden, opens up beautifully before you and you can step forward and follow that path all the way up to the top, all the way along the path of real transformation. I wanna show you that hope is the gateway or the trailhead to transformation. Now, look at the reading because all this comes from the reading. Look at verse 13. So verse 13 says this, Peter says, he's talking to Christians who are going through terrible suffering. And he says this, he says, set your hope, there's the key word, fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, hope is the gateway, the trailhead to the mountain of transformation. But then also look at verse 15. The, this mountain, uh, this, this mountain of transformation, Peter gives it a name. And the name that he gives it is holiness. Verse 15, he says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Now, we're going to talk about holiness in just a few minutes, a little bit later on. But for right now, think of it this way. Holiness is when we reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ. So that, that'll be familiar to those of us who have been around Emmanuel for a long time. Um, here at Emmanuel, we like to say often that Emmanuel exists to, you know what it is, right? at least those of you who've been around, see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. Now, seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ is part of what we mean by hoping in Christ. On the other hand, reflecting the beauty of Jesus Christ is part of what we mean by holiness, transformation. Now, keep all this in your mind. Let me ask you a question. Where do you think God wants to take you in the midst of this crisis? You ever ask that question? Because it seems to me, see if you can identify, it seems to me that a lot of us, I know I feel this way to some extent, we feel like we're kind of slamming up against a wall a little bit. Can you identify? It feels a little bit like, and you know, some of us have lost work 
and it feels like we're slamming up against the wall. Some of us have more work. Work is just, we are buried in work and it's absolutely overwhelming and maybe traumatizing and we're slamming up against a wall. And in the midst of that, in the midst of this season where we are slammed against a wall, what does God want to do? Where does God want to take us? And let me, let me, let me suggest something. What if in the midst of slamming up against a wall, God's giving us a gift? What if God is leading us to a place where we feel the collapse of our normal sources of hope precisely, not so that he can leave us there slamming against a wall, but precisely so that he can take us someplace that we cannot take ourselves. In other words, what if God is leading us right to the trailhead of profound transformation, to the trailhead of holiness? Now, I don't know what you think about this, but Peter thought that that's what God was doing in the lives of his people who were suffering. And I want to follow Peter's argument. And I want to show you three turning points on the path up the mountain of transformation. I want to show you uh, three waypoints, turning points on the, uh, uh, as we walk up the mountain of holiness, the mountain of transformation. Let me show you what I mean. Come with me. I want you to imagine now that you have already entered into uh, the gate of hope. You, you've, you're, you imagine you are uh, at the trailhead of the mountain of holiness, the mountain of transformation. <clears throat> And which means you've, you've invested your, your deep hope in Jesus Christ, or at least you, you want to consent to that. You want to. Maybe you haven't deeply done so, and none of us have done it perfectly, but, but you want to have done that. And so you begin walking up the mountain. You begin walking up the trail. And as you leave the gateway behind you, and you walk up the trail, and it winds just a little bit, but then you see a signpost you see the signpost or the next turning point. And the next turning point is called value shift. Value shift, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. When you hope deeply in Jesus Christ, it will change what it is you value the most. So look at verse 18. So in verse 18, uh, Peter says, um, he's describing uh, how his people trusted in Jesus. And he says, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. Now, watch how uh, Peter talks about Jesus and watch how he talks about money. Um, do you notice how Peter thinks Jesus is more valuable than gold. Did you catch that? Um, so right now, uh, I, I, I think I saw this week that the value of gold is up. Um, in a time like this, from what I understand, you, you people who understand investments can tell me if I'm right or, or not. I'm probably totally wrong. But from what I understand, um, in times like this, when everything's kind of wibbly wobbly, it, it's 
gold, silver, things like that are, are, are things that people are attracted to in terms of their investment. So let's say that um, up until this point, I've invested, which I haven't, in, in like oil and like WeWork and cruise ships, right? Now, none of those things are going real well right now. Um, and so when that happens, what we want to do is we want to find an investment that will last. Um, and a good candidate in a time when all things are going crazy are things, investments that tend to be steady in their value or go up over time uh, in, in a more steady way, maybe not drastically, but more steady over time. And so things like gold and silver are attractive because uh, they have a tendency to maintain their value over time. Now, that may make sense. I don't know if that's good investment or not. Please don't take that as advice. But I want you to see that in this passage, Peter, in a sense, says, yes, but gold and silver compared to Jesus Christ, gold and silver have no staying power. Gold and silver are perishable compared to Jesus Christ. You used to put your hope in things like gold and silver. But Peter says, don't do that anymore because they are like overripe avocados next to Jesus Christ. Jesus is becoming more and more precious and valuable to you. It's as if Peter says to his people, since you put your hope in him. Now, what I'm trying to show you is that this is, it's the first waypoint or turning point on the trail up the mountain of transformation. When you hope in Jesus Christ and when you see Jesus's resurrection and when you see that his resurrection means that you have an eternal hope, then Jesus Christ will naturally, maybe inevitably, become more and more precious to you. You start to value him more than you value anything else. And as I describe that, some of you will know what I'm talking about. Um, you, you find yourself starting to enjoy worship and prayer more. They stop being duties. They start becoming delight. Okay. The mountain of transformation, the mountain of holiness, becoming like God. Um, it begins with hope. That's the gateway. But then the first turning point or the first waypoint is value shift. We begin to value Jesus more than anything else. But then comes the next one. The next one, the next waypoint to look for is desire shift. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, Passions, it's a little bit of a weird word, but all Peter means is desires. It's the same word, except that he, Peter's talking about uh, toxic and selfish desires. Um, now, we all know that um, Christians talk a lot about sin. What's sin? What do you think sin is? Sin is not just being naughty. And sin is not just rule-breaking. Sin is when we prefer our own selfish desires above God. And, and oftentimes it, it kind of goes 
right amongst religious people, but it, it takes on camouflage. So it's kind of like this, um, or irreligious people, it happens both. I might say something like this, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Like I'm not a jerk. And if, if, if we grade all of humanity on a bell curve, I'm kind of like in the middle of the curve, you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. And I, I follow all reasonable rules. Um, and, um, and, and I even follow God's rules. But then, but then there will come a point in which God will ask us to do something that offends our, our desires. And when that happens, our passions erupt. Our passions, uh, that part of our hearts that prefer ourselves, it just, it, it goes haywire. And we find a good justification for jettisoning obedience. And, 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 and we take our own path. Now, can you see how that works? And can you see how that works in your own life? Keep that in your mind and go back to the mountain. Because once we passed value shift and we value Jesus increasingly, it's a process, but increasingly more than everything else, then we come to this shift in desire and we find that we have a new set of desires. We didn't generate them. We find that they are there implanted by the Holy Spirit because we valuing Jesus more than anything. And, we, and just the next step that is quite natural is we want to desire Jesus more than even we desire our own selves, more than we even prefer our own selves. It's a shift in desire. But now let me say it differently. And this might create a little bit of trouble for some of us, okay? Look at verse 17. So verse 17 says, if you call on him as father who judges according to each one's deeds, then conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, when you pass through uh, value shift and you get to desire shift, the second waypoint, you'll find that you want new things, but you'll also find that you fear new things. You'll want to please Jesus, but you will also fear offending Jesus. Now, I can imagine somebody saying, whoa, hang on, stop. You stop there. Are you telling me that Christian transformation is fear-based? I can imagine somebody saying, Jim, come on. Are you, are you worse? I can imagine somebody saying, worse. Are you saying that Jesus wants us to repress our desires and hold them down and then stress out about the final judgment and that's the way we're supposed to live life? Well, thank you for bringing that up. Um, let me say it this way. You've got to remember the path that got us here. Jesus gave absolutely all that he is for us. Without reservation, Jesus on the cross gave all that he is for us. And he gave his life on the cross and then rose again so that we might have an unconquerable and eternal hope. And we entered the gateway to holiness and to transformation through that hope. And then we got, remember, to value shift. And there we began to treasure Jesus above everything else. And there's joy in that. And Jesus became precious to us. And he became more valuable than anything else, even than we are to ourselves. Now, once you're there, then of course, quite naturally, you will desire to please him and we will fear offending him. 
Why? Well, think about it. That fear and that desire is just the normal fear and desire of, of close relationship and intimacy. So a father, a good father, a good father, all of them, we all fear ruining our kids. And the longer you're a dad, the more you know that that's fairly likely, which is super scary. But we also desire to serve our kids well. There's a fear and there's a desire and they're two sides of the same coin. And the same is true. When you're walking up the mountain of transformation and holiness, then you will fear offending your father in heaven. And you know that he sees through all of our hypocrisies and he knows that he holds us accountable because he's committed to justice. You'll fear offending him. And at the same time, you will desire to honor him and please him because Jesus gave you his life to give you hope. Okay, look at where we've been. We're up on the top of a mountain or we're way up on the side of a mountain. And you look back down at the base of the mountain, you can see the trailhead and it's hope. Hope in Christ is the gateway to transformation and holiness. And then we passed a value shift where we began to treasure Jesus above all. And then we found ourselves at desire shift where we want to please Jesus and we fear offending Jesus. And now we're almost at the top because desire shift leads to a shift in what it is that we love and how we love. Look at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Okay, now everybody knew that we were gonna talk about love, right? However, before we talk about love, we need to pan back out Imagine you're like a drone and you can see the whole mountain at the same time. And the whole mountain is called holiness. What is holiness? We need to think about what holiness is and then we can go back and land and understand what love means. Let me try to describe holiness and this is gonna be weird. Um, I once found that, some of you know this, I once found myself a foot away, maybe a foot and a half, away from a wild elephant. It was something. Uh, Amber and I were in Malawi. Um, it was the middle of the night. I can tell you the whole story sometime later on. But one of the, difficult, one of the difficulties is it's super hard to describe what the experience was like. I can tell you the circumstances. I'm not gonna do that now, but it, what's really hard is to describe the experience. Because I could say that being a foot away from a wild elephant in the middle of the night, in the middle of Malawi, I could say that it was scary. It was scary. I was petrified. But it was different from any other kind of fear I've experienced before. Or I could say it was beautiful, and it was. But it was different from any kind of beauty I've experienced before. Um, let me try it like this. I want you to imagine for a second um, a child's fear at a giant thunderclap or, or, or the fear that you experience the first time you're at the beach and a wave knocks you down and you feel yourself end over end in the, underneath the water as the wave and the power of that moment fl floods over you. Remember that fear? Take that fear and then join it to the joy that an art lover experiences the first time she walks into the Metropolitan Museum of Art. 
and then take that joy and uh, round it out kind of with the unexpected smells and sounds that persuade you that you're awake and you're not asleep and whatever it is that's happening right in front of you is real. Now, that is a terrible way to describe what I experienced, but it's the best thing I can do. And the reason it's the best thing I can do is this. I'm trying to describe an utterly unique and therefore profoundly valuable experience. And that's what God's holiness is like. Did I lose you? Stay with me. God's holiness is his utterly unique and therefore supremely valuable character. And God is not like anything else in this world. He, he, he's not limited like this world. He doesn't find him slammed up against a wall like you and I feel regularly. He is completely different from us. But his uniqueness, on the one hand, makes him very hard to understand. But on the other hand, his uniqueness is his incandescent beauty. He is infinite love combined with infinite justice, melded with infinite power. And he is too beautiful to be safe. And words fail me and fail everyone to capture anything of his holiness. And yet, I'm trying to describe to you the indescribable because verse 16 says God wants to impart something of his own holiness to us. That God's plan is to make his people shine with his own incandescent beauty. And that's why he takes us up this mountain. Now, keep that in your mind and go back to verse 22, because when God says, I want you to love each other, he doesn't mean just love each other just the way we normally love each other. Uh, isn't this right? Very often, we, what we call love is, oftentimes, it's, it's very reactive and sometimes it's very selfish. Sometimes we, we say we love somebody because we see something attractive in that other person and say, hey, there's something worth loving in them. And so we love them and that's fine. But other times we say we love somebody, but really we just want to get something from them. Isn't that true? And so the thing that we call love is often very uh, uh, merit-based. Does somebody deserve it? Or it's selfish. Can I get something from that person? But God's love is utterly different. God's love is a holy love. And you can see God's holy love when you look at Jesus Christ. Because Jesus didn't love us because we're attractive. Did you think Jesus loved you because you're attractive? As long as you think that, you'll be insecure about his love. Jesus didn't love us in order to get something from us. He loved us when we were his enemies. And he loved us by giving, up, giving all that he is away for us. He loved us with a perfectly generous and unselfish kind of love, and that is holy love. And it's a unique kind of love. It's a love that Jesus desires us to show each other, but it's not a love that I can generate in me, and you can't generate it in you. It's not something we, we turn our crank and work it up. We can only love like that when Jesus finds us at the foot of the mountain, outside the mountain, with no way to get up that mountain, and he finds us, and we're wounded, and we're dying in the woods, and he picks us up, and he binds us up with his own, with with all his own resources, he heals us. And then he carries us to the entrance 
of the mountain. And he gives us a hope that we can't generate ourselves. And then he carries us up to value shift and he's still carrying us and he gives us a new value for him. And then we find ourselves no longer looking at the mountain and no longer looking at our wounds, but looking at his face. And then he carries us further and looking at his face, we find ourselves captivated with his beauty and how precious he is. And then we find ourselves at, at desire shift, desiring nothing but him and him above all things. And then finally, he takes us to this place called love, where there we begin to love others as he has loved us. And in the end, we find ourselves at the top of the mountain, it all culminates when we stand before Jesus, utterly captivated with him, along with our brothers and sisters, loving him for all eternity in his kingdom. It's the mountain of holiness. And so Emmanuel, right now we're, we're slamming up against the wall. But it's not without purpose. Jesus Christ is not slammed against a wall. And he has a place he wants to take us now. So consent to him. Let him come and find you. He's seeking you. And let him pick you up. Consent to that journey now. This is a crucial moment. This is a moment where things that are always true but are often hidden now become vivid. You can feel in this moment your need for Jesus perhaps more than you ever felt your need for him in the past. And so consent to him. He wants to carry you up the mountain of holiness. Say yes. And as he carries you up that mountain of holiness, you will look back at this season of your life and you will realize that you are not slammed against a wall. At least you are perhaps slammed against the wall, but Jesus took you over the wall and to a better place and to a place that is full of benefits and treasures that are far greater than you had ever previously imagined. So let him carry you up the mountain of holiness. Amen. Hello everyone, my name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.